0: This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mark Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello, and welcome to Season 5, Episode 11 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we will be recapping our series on LeVar Burton as an Emmy nominee, uh, looking at his, both of his Emmy-nominated works and beyond. So, as we discussed a couple weeks ago, the first thing that Burton got nominated for was the first thing that he did, really, which was Roots, where he played uh, Kunta Kinte um, who is as far as I can tell, kind of like the main character of the the series, or at least the first character yeah, in the series. The,
1: the initial he's the uh, he's the audience in. He's the introductory character, the key character to get the story moving.
0: Right. And he's the one who's brought over to America as a slave and the family which they follow is all his descendants and he was in the first 4 hours uh until the character got older and he was replaced with another older actor uh and in those four episodes or those four hours he um was kind of a, a tour de force and got an Emmy nomination for best actor well deserved in mini series yeah well, well deserved as well as everyone else in the in the series you know oh, yeah. that category that he was in all four people in the category were from roots so and he lost to luis Casa junior uh so yeah what 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 were your thoughts on on roots in general uh well i mean important work uh it, and it's it's
1: interesting because there is a similar conversation going on right now uh with the the film selma where people are jumping on and saying they're they're sort of nitpicking some historical pieces of it here or there and the director said said something that I feel speaks to anybody anything that people point out as an in historical inaccuracy with roots or or anything like that which is the story is the most important part this is a work of art it's not a documentary and as a result if there, you know Haley got into a little bit of trouble for saying that he you know researched his family history and blah 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 and we we sort of went over how you know there were some things where it's it's a little fuzzy how well researched it was but in terms of a dramatic piece it's it, it's an i it holds up it's a fantastic work of art and well worth seeing and i think anybody would do themselves a favor by watching it
0: yeah, yeah, you're right. It is a work of art, and that's the the key thing. You know, it's not supposed to be a document of history, but it's supposed to be an interpretation of historical events in order to sort of um, express on you know almost a, a visceral level what happened, you know, in that part of history. You know, and Selma, I think, does the same thing. Have you seen Selma? I haven't had
1: the opportunity yet. Uh, working on it, trying to yeah. get out to see it because it—I haven't heard a single bad thing about it.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty good. You know, I I, I would not say that it's as great as everyone's saying it is, but uh, it, the the thing about it is the story is is really really good, and I think you know it's a, a first time director, and I think that she's not quite at the top of her game yet, although. <laughs> It is kind of awesome because have you seen the this uh, Ebert documentary Life itself? I no, I haven't seen that yet. Even though I very much want to, Uh, that that's an amazing movie. But in the movie, there is a uh, woman who you know a a a filmmaker in the movie who you see and I. Maybe, God, maybe Selma's not her first movie. But anyway, it it was, was, she might have done a short or something like that, but she did, uh, no, I think it was, like an indie film. It doesn't matter. Anyway, you know, the the facts aren't important, just like with Selma and Roots. Exactly. (laughs) The point is that, you know, Ebert kind of saw her and took her under his wing and sort of gave her the attention that she needed in order to get her movie out in order to get her voice heard and you hear this story and you know I haven't seen that movie no one had ever really heard of this woman but you hear about the impact that he had on her life and now that woman is the woman who made selma and it's like wow we're actually getting to see now what happened because of ebert's influence on her but
1: that's really I, cool that is it, really
0: it, and it's really interesting too because it speaks
1: to how interconnected everything can be uh, how there can be these sort of influences that you're not even aware of. And then it suddenly when somebody like, like that has success, it's nice to see that somebody had a positive influence on them, you know, that, that, you know, from their other work that, you know, you find out the pieces that aren't, and I suppose a, a movie like Selma is about that. The, the pieces that you didn't see, the things that went on that weren't in the headlines uh, grabbing yeah. all of the attention
0: right exactly, and you know I think the same is true with roots you know it's it's not about the facts it's about the experience you right. know it's about what these people experienced and um it you know if they took some liberties, I don't have a problem with that. I think it's kind of shady that the guy said that he did all this stuff, you know when in reality he didn't you know, but yeah what what can you do? <laughs> He's an artist. Give him a break. <laughs> I guess so, but but on the whole, I do think that Roots is uh, really good, and um, yeah, Lavar Burton's performance is kind of amazing. You know, we we talked about it in that episode, but the fact that he needs to go head to head with some of the biggest names of that time period, you know, I mean, all these guys were huge, huge like marquee names in the world of, of film and television. And he's just there just first time, first time, uh, actor, little 19 year old LeVar Burton and totally holding his own. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. In in many ways, it's shocking that he didn't win the Emmy
1: because, uh, I think we made reference to this before. If his performance isn't what it is, the experience doesn't grab you. And, you know, you'll probably go through and it's a strong story and it's a good, well-constructed uh, piece of art. But at the same time, that performance is so key to making you as an audience member invest in the story. And so it, it still sort of boggles the mind that he didn't uh, beat Lewis Gossett Jr. And that that's not to take anything away from any of the other performances. It's just that. His performance is so key it's so structurally important for that to be right out of the gate. This has got you. you identify, you care immediately with this character
0: yeah and and i mean and and this is another thing with me too, which you know I know that they're i I guess I'm in the minority here, but i don't see how i mean i guess the the way that the the Emmys are structured and looking at individual episodes or whatever but to me i I think it's kind of weird that you can have four people be the best lead actor in a single series like i right. I, I always I'm always kind of like a a stickler for that in, in a sense, you know and and um like the, the, there can be only one, you know, just 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 like Highlander. and <laughs> you know to me, that's Lavar Burton. He's definitely the lead actor in this thing. Louis Gossett Jr., from what I saw, unless the thing takes a really strange turn and, and you find out that he's actually, you know, uh, Alex Haley's uh, d- ancestor or whatever, I, I don't see how he can even qualify as a lead actor. He should be in the supporting actor category. But Valid point.
1: Maybe it's maybe it's because of the amount of screen time that they had. Because I know that there are also, I mean, you know, just to speak to that, there there are times where I haven't understood why certain scores even though they're for sequels aren't nominated and i know that there's some sort of like percentage of screen time blah blah blah. they're like these byzantine rules yeah. so i imagine that probably uh gossip was in enough of it that he broke some sort of like minute or you know screen time threshold that meant he had to be nominated i'm talking completely you know, you know out my rear because i have I- no idea
0: I don't know how the Oscars do it or I'm sorry I don't know how the Emmys do it but uh the way that the Oscars do it I know is they leave it up to the discretion of each individual voter. Interesting. You know? Yeah, which has has actually uh caused some problems in the past because you know people have split the vote, you know, thinking that they're supporting or lead and and it's actually up to the studios or the networks to really promote an actor as one or the other in order to, you know, Make sure that everyone votes for them in in one category, instead of uh, it's crazy. That, that's you know? just it's nuts. It's I mean I mean the thing that it, and that that just allows people to to skew it. I mean like the the big one to me, which I I, I always think is just like nuts, is nineteen eighty. Robert De Niro wins Best Actor for Raging Bull. Yeah. At, Slam dunk! Everyone knew that he was going to win. People say it's one of the absolute best performances in movie history. So there was no touching him, right? But uh, what's his name? Um, Timothy Hutton. Oh. A, oh, who, what was who, that
1: one for? I can't. I can't remember that far back.
0: Or ordinary people. Yeah. Which actually beat *Raging Bull* for Best Picture, which doesn't make any sense. Baffling, at all. absolutely but, baffling. <laughs> He very clearly was the lead uh, actor in that movie, you know? No no doubt. It was all about that kid, right? But he's a little high school kid who's going up against Robert De Niro. There's no way he's going to win, and the studio knew that, right? But they also knew that he did a, a really great job in this movie. So they said, oh, please vote for him for supporting actor, And he won for Supporting Actor, even though it was very clearly a lead uh, performance. So he was like a ringer. Exactly. Yeah, okay. They put Daryl Strawberry in right field on Homer's team. Gotcha. (laughs) But anyway, uh, none of that has anything to do with Roots. (laughs) Other other than to say, you know, like, uh, LeVar Burton is very much the Timothy Hutton in this situation, and, you know, what can you do? uh, He was was kind of... um, in, in the wrong place at the wrong time. Too many, too many people in that category for him to get the recognition he deserved.
1: Well, if so. you want to put a po- if you want to put a really positive spin on it, it speaks to how many phenomenal performances are in Roots that yeah. they were able to basically flood the categories. It's just you know yeah. there are so many great performances in it. So I suppose first that's a positive time, way to look.
0: First time and probably only time I am guessing that an entire category was made up of. Uh, performances from one show can't it's think pretty- of another i i can't think of another time it happened yeah i mean how, how could it you know it's crazy all right so so that's roots um but there was another show that that uh lavar burton did i guess he started prior to next generation and it continued well after next generation and that was reading rainbow now, unlike Roots or or Star Trek, this is not um, your typical narrative piece of fiction. This is not really a documentary show, but a show in which he plays himself. He is the host of uh, a show about books, about reading, trying to get people, kids, to, to become interested in reading. And he does so by uh, spotlighting certain children's books and then taking a look at the elements which are at play in those stories and seeing uh, what those things are in the real world by going on quote-unquote field trips where he uh, will show you how something is actually done in the real world. And for this show, which aired on PBS here in, in the States... He won 12 Emmys, 10 of them for Best Children's Series and 2 of them for Best Performer in a Children's Series because he was the producer of the show as well as uh the host of the show. And now he owns the rights to the show and makes the app. It lasted for 16 seasons uh, spanning 1983 to 2009 had a huge cultural impact uh despite the fact that, you know, it's not something that adults would watch but it had an impact on the youth of america for sure and uh he was well rewarded for his efforts and i would probably say deservedly so um what are your thoughts on reading rainbow
1: well uh you know i i didn't partake of the uh the joy that was reading rainbow firsthand uh <laughs> at the you know extemporaneously i'm not or extantly or whatever the right word is for that but um I can say that uh, it, it did make a cultural impact because even if you didn't watch it, you know about it. Nobody, nobody does not know the phrase reading rainbow beyond a certain age. Like yeah. it, it's, it's just, it's ingrained in there. And even if you never saw a single second of the show, you knew reading rainbow and that, you know, that probably just speaks to its, its cultural impact, you know, much like roots. Roots was another thing where if you were too young to have seen it on television, you still knew about roots. It was still referred to reverently with, you know, great gusto and reading rainbow much the same way. And going back and and looking over, you know, some of it for you know for this. You know, I I think you you said it best, where it's like you, you look you look back on it and you say, Huh, wow. You know, I, I kind of wish I'd uh, I'd watched that, you know, live at the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so weird. It's hard to categorize this thing and and to look at it uh from the perspective that we normally judge, you know, the work that we look at on this show because we're not the target audience by any stretch of the imagination, you know. No. <laughs> There's nothing that we're personally going to get out of an episode of Reading Rainbow, really. <laughs> Aside from, you know, saying like, what well, that is really interesting. I never knew that that's how Tortellini was made. But now that I know, that's that's pretty interesting. But, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's one of those things where you kind of have to, to look at it from a certain perspective. And even though, you know, the kids who are watching it may not be too into it, you know, sort of like the message which it's pushing and and, and the one which is, uh, sort of probably getting through whether the kids want it to or not is is a very important message, you know, which is basically just read, you know, or or it, you know, investigate the world around you, you know, don't go beyond the book and and actually take a look at uh at what's going on right. in the story and in the world. Um and that's, you know, very uh worthwhile. Along the idea of you know
1: read and look at the world around you, uh, it it is such a good message to say. Also, it's almost like a this sort of overstates it, but it's almost like a George Bailey moment where it gives kids the opportunity to realize that that uh, I don't know the the water didn't come into your house by magic, and the eggs at the diner weren't cooked you know, through, you know, they weren't just like thrown at you. Like there's a person who has a skill who knows how to do a thing and it's important for people to know how to do those things. Not everybody can just do X and sometimes you need to, you know, broaden your horizons and know what's going on around you and behind the scenes because you might have to be the person that does X, Y, or Z. And who knows, you might enjoy being a cook or you might enjoy, Being a plumber or any of those things. And I think it it did a great job of presenting all of those sorts of professions and situations in a very positive light, as opposed to the way somebody might approach something and say, Oh, yeah, hey, look, that guy's, you know, a fry cook. And it's like, it would look at it instead as, Huh, a fry cook. What do they do? And, you know, that might be interesting to a kid.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, and, and his his uh I guess you could say performance on the show is really interesting because here's a guy who you're used to seeing in the next generation and, and roots and, and all these things and he's you know, got a, a specific acting style and here he needs to perform still, but in a different way you know i mean mm-hmm. for one thing he's he's you know talking to the camera and everything like that but he's still definitely playing a character and he he does a good job of sort of uh consistently portraying that character in a certain way which is one in which you know kids can relate to him and and everything it's 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 an interesting performance i agree absolutely yeah. so Those were his two um, Emmy-nominated works, and you know I think what we see here by looking at them and how different they are, and and yet how similar they are in some ways is you know you kind of see someone who is very socially conscious and um, not willing to settle for just some just like a paycheck or anything like that necessarily. I mean, certainly there are things which he's done I'm sure which have been for the money, but. He has a a very um socially conscious mind when it comes to his work, and he really wants to add to you know the conversation and to the community as opposed to just acting you know and and that's evident in in both of these things in terms of their message and everything like that. but I think also like when you look at sort of the scope of his work in that, you know, he doesn't just act, you know, in in Reading Rainbow, he is the performer, which I'm sure is what he was initially hired for, but he later became the producer, because it's something which he believed in so much, Mm -hmm. and now is the owner of Reading Rainbow, you know, and he's um, really pushing for that thing to exist, whether or not he is just the mouthpiece for it, you know, or mm-hmm. he isn't just the mouthpiece for it he he's sort of the uh the driving force behind it sure
1: sure well i you know and I, I think to to speak to that point, reading rainbow's going on in the background while he's doing other television appearances and even being on next generation, so in a sense, as heartbreaking as it might be, you could almost look at next generation as the paycheck that paid for his passion, which yeah. was
0: reading rainbow oh, that's true, yeah and And the thing that we see on next Generation is you know that same sort of thing with reading Rainbow where he's not willing to settle for just being the thing that he's hired for, you know while right. he was an actor on Next Generation, he later became um a director on Next Generation along with pretty much everyone else in the cast yeah. <laughs> and and um he continued that through the other series. He has directed more episodes of Star Trek than any other lead actor. And uh, it was his regular gig, at least through um, Enterprise, and I think Voyager as well. That was what he did.
1: You know, the, and that's, you know that's interesting. That, that sort of occurs to me as you say that, is when, before the Star Trek 3, um, or 13, depending on your point of view, director was announced, and they started the you know, Bring in Riker campaign, and, and um, this is, again, not to take anything away from Frakes, because I think he's a, a terrific director. Um, why wasn't Burton's name thrown out there? Considering he had such a long relationship as a Star Trek director,
0: why didn't anybody think of Burton to come in and do it? Yeah, I mean, that would be perfectly reasonable. I mean, I guess the t- to answer your question, it's because, you know, it was the fans who were doing it, of course. You know, I don't think anyone at the studio was oh, yes. consciously considering yes. it. and you know the fans think of Jonathan Frakes as the director of Star Trek First Contact you know and and that's the thing that might have changed if things had gone the way that they seemed to have been uh sort of in the works to go and and Burton had directed Nemesis which i can't get 100% confirmation on this okay it's something that i had heard well after Nemesis had come out at a convention from someone up on stage it I'm guessing it was Richard Arnold who said this, but he said that you know LeVar Burton was essentially Rick Berman's choice for Nemesis, and uh, I I had I've gone back and tried to research it, and it looks like Frakes' name was thrown out there as well, but he was busy making uh, like Clock Stoppers or something at that point in time, mm-hmm. and uh, everyone, this is from what I heard, I couldn't could be not true, but everyone. In the um, Star Trek camp, really sort of thought that it was Burton's turn to do a movie and that he would be the one directing Nemesis. And then the studio came in and said, We're giving it to Baird because he helped us out with uh, Mission Impossible 2 and Lara Croft, Tomb Raider. And uh, the rest and is the history. Fa- the
1: fans have never been happier. <laughs> happier with I, I, that, that. was a, That was a thrilled decision. And you know that that would make sense because I have heard because LeVar Burton is uh in every interview I've ever seen him in regardless of the circumstances uh you can tell how authentic that reading rainbow quote unquote persona is he 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 seems like a very nice um affable person but when you bring up nemesis there always seems to be a little bit of uh not The word bitterness is strong, but there always seems to be a little bit of screw paramount in, you know, sort of like his demeanor suddenly shifts just ever so slightly where it's kind of like, I don't want to talk about this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He has, you know, he, he is, he is, you know, very, um, outgoing and and sort of easygoing, but there are certain topics where, you know, if he, if he, there's, there's something that he believes in and it may mean uh, you know, butting heads with someone else or or criticizing something which is in place, he's not afraid to to do that. Sure. You know, <laughs> sure. And, and 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 I mean, there were stories coming out of Nemesis. Like, the, I guess there was one blow up which you know apparently happened. Who knows if if this is actually what happened? But where um, uh, at one point Baird was giving direction and he referred to Jordy as the alien. presumably because of his eyes and Burton was just like, what do do, do you have any idea what it is you're doing? You don't even know who these characters are. You know, did you watch a show before you directed this? (laughs) Which he said he didn't. He said, (laughs) he said he watched the movies, but he didn't really do anything with the show. So yeah, unfortunate. It's it's crazy. Um, but you know, yeah, there were definitely, there's definitely some conflict there, but, uh, yeah, and he's he's he been pretty outspoken. Like, I know he was, uh, there's this great video, which I came across when I was doing research for this, where they were talking to him at a convention. I'm assuming it was Vegas. And it was right before, uh, well, it was probably about the year before um, Into Darkness came out. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I like the first one, and I'm kind of excited to see what happens. But I really don't like the fact that, you know, JJ J. Abrams has decided to, you know, erase next generation and everything from existence. I think that that's stupid, blah, blah, blah. But that video is great. If anyone wants to check out that video, it's, it says something like uh, next gen lead upset over JJ J. Abrams or something. That's, that's, so, that's basically how it's labeled on uh, YouTube. It's one of the first videos that comes up when you type in LeVar Burton, but it is the most convention convention I've ever seen in my (laughs) life because they have him doing a stand up for like three minutes and you see the convention in the background you see people getting autographs and everything like that and then at one point You see a guy and he just kind of walks into frame and he's got like this Hawaiian shirt on and he just kind of looks around and then he walks out of frame and that person is Larry Nemechek. I'm like, oh, (laughs) of course. (laughs) I think think I'm not 100% positive, but I think you also see Rod Roddenberry run by with a cup of coffee at one point. But check out that video. It's great. (laughs) That is awesome. Anyway. Uh, he's also, you know, continued to act. Uh, he's he's what he's in a show right now, isn't he? He's he's the lead in some show with Rachel Lee Cook. Um, I, I didn't think to actually write down the name of it. Of course, he's in so. a
1: show called Perception. Yes, uh,
0: that says it's still running. That's it. That's it. And he's directed a number of episodes of that as well. Um, he's also directed episodes. I mean, just going down the list of. of Uh, TV shows which he's directed for, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, uh, Soul Food, um, which the movie was shot in my hometown by a graduate of my uh, alma mater, Um, Voyager, Jag, uh, Miracles Boys, which was a miniseries, Enterprise, Charmed, uh, Las Vegas, and then Perception. And he's made a a number of movies as well. He did uh, four movies. I think three of them were TV movies, and one of them was a theatrical release. There was The Tiger Woods Story, Smart House, um, and Reach for Me. Those were the three uh, TV movies. And then he did Blizzard, which got a theatrical release. I know. I remember when this happened. It played at the Chicago Children's Film Festival. And I remember thinking, I want to go see that. I want to see LaFar Burton's new movie. And I, I didn't get around to it. And uh, it actually won best film at the festivals. So. And
1: as a next generation uh, tie-in, Whoopi Goldberg is in that film.
0: Oh, there you go. There so. you go. Yeah, for any Whoopi Goldberg fans out there, check out Top Five, the new Chris Rock movie. She has a cameo in that movie. It's absolutely hysterical. And that movie's amazing. That uh,
1: I see. I I miss her doing comedy.
0: Yeah, I, she's I really, really do. Good. <laughs> it's it's her. It's a it's a scene with. Um, her basically, it's it's Chris Rock's bachelor party, and he's a stand-up comic. So at the bachelor party is her, Adam Sandler and Ben Stiller. No, I'm sorry, Adam Sandler and Jerry Seinfeld. Oh. And uh, <laughs> it's it's pretty great. They're giving him marital advice.
1: It's, See, the thing is, if they put that, if they if they just put those words on the screen that these three people are in this scene,
0: that movie would be number one at the box office yeah. every week, <laughs> every week. As it should be, but check out. I mean, if if you're a fan of like Woody Allen type of movies or whatever, check out Top Five. It's in, it's amazing.
1: Right, especially if you're a fan of Woody Allen movies without Woody Allen in them. There you go. That's an important even. even that's an important <laughs> note
0: right there. <laughs> These days, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Burton, you know he's he's done some voice work as well. He was on Captain Planet and the Planeteers and uh, Transformers Rescue Bots. And he's also the voice of Black Lightning in um, two DC animated movies. One which is out now, uh, Superman Batman Public Enemies, which was really good, by the way, and uh, an upcoming Justice League movie. So that's awesome too. You know, that's
1: all. I I gotta say, when whenever you hear somebody's voice, that you. Uh, know from another TV property as a cartoon voice. It is actually, it's a, it's a special little thrill because it's like, oh, hey, I know that one. Like, you almost feel like you know the person personally when you yeah. hear the voice.
0: Yeah, it's 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 pretty great, you know? That's why uh, Gargoyles was so great because it was like the entire cast of Next Gen, you know, at, at one point yeah. or another, <laughs> he, including LeVar Burton, he was on that show too. Um, but yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um. Yeah. In fact, uh, well, I was just watching Rebels, and uh, there's a character who looks like he's going to be a recurring character, which is voiced by um Brent Spiner. It's oh, like, which hey. character is
1: voiced by Spiner?
0: Like he's he like shows up on a view screen. Um, okay. Oh,
1: well, I have to go back and watch yeah, it because
0: he was shows... in like the last two episodes or something. Yeah. Or, I haven't seen the last one, but the one before that, Path of but... a Jedi, it's a good one. Yeah, the the one before the Yoda one. Uh, he's in that. Okay, yeah, but. Yeah, and now Burton has uh, recurring roles on on two shows as himself. Uh, two shows which really couldn't be more different from each other if they tried. I guess Community and The Big Bang Theory. Uh, <laughs> both Are they of them really very that different from each other. <laughs> They're both very nerdy shows, but yeah. one's very highbrow and one's very lowbrow. I guess that's how I would describe it.
1: Which one do you put in which category? <laughs> This is going to tell me a lot about... I would
0: say Community is highbrow and Big okay. Bang Theory is lowbrow. We can so. continue being friends, Mike. Okay. Excellent. All right. Good. Good. <laughs> um, but the interesting thing about it is uh, he first appeared on Community as himself, and then exactly one week later, he appeared on the Big Bang Theory as himself. So I say those shows take place in the same continuity.
1: Well, why not? Yeah. they? Could, you know, they say, I don't even know what city they're set in. What I'm, are I'm not set sure in?
0: either. I think community, would, I think is either like L.A. or San Diego. Big Bang Theory, I don't know. Maybe L.A.?
1: Perhaps Big Bang Theory, like Lost, is you never actually know the location. It's just a you mythical You would think it would city. be like San Francisco or something, like Silicon Valley, right? Wow, I, I would be, wow. I, you know, I would love to do a man-on-the-street poll and just ask people randomly, <laughs> do you know what city Bang, Big Bang Theory is set in?
0: And just see if anybody could answer the question. If you know what uh City Big Bang Theory has said in or community, uh, email us at comtrackstars at gmail dot com. We'll we'll read your response on the air, hopefully next week.
1: Because we want to know.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I need to check those out now. I need to watch them back to back and see if there's you know a connection, you know, see if it's like a crossover like when yeah. <laughs> Allie McBeal and the practice crossed over or something. You know? <laughs> Be awesome. That
1: would be so funny if it was. That would be so great. I would love that.
0: <laughs> Let's hope so. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's really weird, the Big Bang Theory, because there's so many like nerds who are just so against that show. There's a lot of them that love it. There's a lot of them that are against it. But they've got some pretty heavy hitters in their corner. Like, apparently, D.C. Fontana and uh, David Gerald are like, really tight with the Big Bang Theory people. They, like, go to tapings all the time and everything like that. Mm. That just seems so weird to me because they're, like, some of the best writers that Star Trek has ever known, and yet they're really big fans of the Big Bang Theory. Chuck Lorre just knows people. I I guess that's how it is.
1: You know, I I, I don't judge anybody that likes the Big Bang Theory. It's not my cup of tea, but, uh, you know... I know a lot of people that like it, so, you know, it, to each their it's own. It's not horrendously
0: bad. It's just bad. That is true.
1: It's, yeah. not, it's not, I'll say, in the great um, body of work that is Chuck Lorre, uh, it's no Dharma and Greg, and that's a compliment. <laughs>
0: okay. <sighs> well, any final thoughts on LeVar Burton and his career on the yeah. whole? I love the guy.
1: I really do. I, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know him personally, but uh, it's a person that I enjoy knowing is going to be in a project. When I see his name attached to something. I will, you know, make the effort to uh, see him in it or investigate more about it, because, you know, just given his track record of caring as deeply as he does about the projects that he's in, I'm willing to give anything a shot that he's in.
0: Yeah, I I pretty much agree with that. Uh and I'm I'm really impressed by the fact that uh this guy who, you know, broke into the industry as an actor has made a very conscious effort to uh go beyond that and to not allow himself to be pigeonholed in just that one job. And he's, you know, like a lot of the the actors in Star Trek um taken the step into directing but unlike most of the actors who do that you know not all of them there have been a number, there have been a, a good number of them who actually have done this he's gone on to make that a career you mm-hmm. know i mean frakes doesn't really act anymore he just directs and burton while he is you know acting now on uh perception he for a good long time was directing as his, his main gig. And that's really cool to me. You know, that says a lot about, um, a person as, as an artist to me, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just because directing is, is where, you know, my interests sort of lie or or something like that. But when, when an actor sort of does that, you know, and, and, and takes that step and is willing to, you know, step away from the spotlight in order to, Take a more active role in the creation of something, even mm-hmm. if it's sort of an anonymous role. Uh, that that says a lot to me about their their uh, commitment to the craft and everything like that. Yeah, you know, I not agree. not to take anything away from people who you know don't do that, but I, I, there's just something really cool about that to me. So I agree with you. So good for him. Well, it's been fun talking about Levar Burton's career today. But this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Because it's it's actually legitimately trying to say something. Yes, very Star Trek. It may be the most Star Trek of all Star Trek. Yeah, it's definitely what I would point to as being this is what science fiction is about. Earl Grey. Kovac will tell us to experience bij sometimes, in which case we will draw the bij card, cling on word for pain. Is so it birthday? It is. It is. It, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. To the journey!
1: That's the one thing we could take from homecoming is like paragraph one, Chakotay and Seven break up. That's for real. Yeah. They that shake happened. hands and go, hey, it's been fun. It's been nice. Thanks for the picnic. Eh, I yeah, see ya. Commentary, Trek stars. Fair At
0: much. this point, like they could say, yeah, why not? Star Wars crossover. I would I would essentially say, fine, both franchises are dead, let's just sew them together and see what happens. Melodic Treks. One of the most well-thought-out alien races that you only see in one episode. Yeah, and the music is, is it's menacing without being over menacing, if that makes yeah. sense. Axenar, the official podcast. I
1: think Justin Lin is a, is a fascinating choice to direct because... The Fast and the Furious movies, even though, yeah, they're action, adventure, road race movies, are really about a family.
0: The 602 Club. That's really cool, though. I mean, I I think that is uh, a fantastic way to get to see just about any movie is is kind of being able to watch it through a kid's eyes. And that's what else is happening on Trek.FM. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Before we go... We'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps us bring commentary, Trek stars, and all of our other shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. They've even got the autobiography of Martin Luther King Jr., uh, which was, well, it was written by Martin Luther King Jr., on pres- presuming, but it was edited by Claiborne Carson. Uh, This is Martin Luther King weekend, and we talked about Selma, which is in theaters now, and LeVar Burton played Martin Luther King in uh, Michael Mann's Ali, which is also a very good movie for those people interested. And LeVar Burton narrates the autobiography of Martin Luther King Jr. It's unabridged, almost 10 hours long, uh, and you can get this book for free since you listen to Trek FM. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting commentary, Trek Stars, and the network. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. So, John, where can people find you on the Internet?
1: Well, you can find me causing all sorts of trouble on Twitter at KesselJunkie, and you can also find me on another show that uh, drops on Thursdays called Words with Nerds that I do with my buddy Craig, iTunes and the usual channels.
0: Excellent. You can find me... Uh, right here on FM, doing Standard Orbit with Drew, and you can find me on CommentaryTrackStars.com doing Commentary TrackStars Off-Topic with Max and Brandon, and you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. Uh, You can also contact us as a whole on the show, either on Twitter at ComTrackStars, or you can email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. All right, well, that's it for LeVar Burton. That was fun. A lot of Next fun. week, yeah, yeah. Next week, we will be back with another actor, Kate Mulgrew, where we are going to look at her work in Star Trek and Orange is the New Black.